When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. On this episode, I speak to a celebrity master chef, a man who has played 17 years at the top of our sport. He is now head of player affairs with the Rugby Players Association. We chat about what things are in place for current players when it comes to player welfare. We chat about the complexities of being a trade union that is also funded by the Premiership and also the frustrations that players are having with current issues in rugby. It's the wonderful, the tall, good-looking Christian Day. Is wearing his heels, marching around the town to get some thrills. But it's time to go in now, and he's big and red. A shot of black coffee, now he's super bad. He gets loud. I'm a big dick owls. I showed him off some whiskey, and he shoots like a mouse. Mate, you're looking well though, Daisy. If you're not, you, you, surely you should have aged significantly over the last few months. I don't know. I think uh, not. Not cheese grating your face in scrums. Actually, you gain a bit when you finish for us. Uh, the ears, the ears survived as well. So you know we're doing all right. There we go, uh, Daisy. Just give us a snapshot then, so of your role in the RPA, what the RPA is for the listeners, and then we can delve into some of the issues and stuff that's going on behind the scenes in the prem. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So the RPA, you've probably heard the moniker, but it's the Rugby Players Association. We we represent all the professional players in England. Um, we represent the the men's uh, premiership players. We also represent the Red Roses. Um, we, we represent the England men's team in their commercial contracts. And we also represent the now the GB sevens, men's and women. And there's a bit of uh, there's a bit of. Uh, <laughs> ironing out to do around that relationship, given that all the Scottish and Welsh players in camp as well. But, you know, we, we represent the players. Primarily, we're a welfare organisation. You know, we want to protect the players' welfare in a, in a game that's pretty rough and tumble. But as well, we have kind of commercial reach. Um, and it's all about trying to represent the players, make sure they're in the room when when decisions are taken. Because if you're not in the room, then then decisions don't tend to go your way. Yeah, absolutely. And there's no better man to be fronting that with your past career. Do you know what I mean? Like as in to have a, someone that's played at the highest level that's been in, you know, the trenches of the scrums, the malls, the breakdowns for many years, and you've given your body to the game. It's great to have someone at the front of that. So the respect is there, but from what I'm hearing with the RPA is the numbers are the lowest sign up that they've had for a long time. So why is that? Do you know, like, like what's the lay of the land with the relationship with the players at the minute? No, so in terms of percentage sign-up, we're, we're pretty much bang on where we always will be. Um, in terms of numbers, we're down because we've, we've lost, you know, two, two clubs in recent times. So, yeah, the, 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 the raw numbers are down. But in terms of percentage sign-up, we're pretty much there. It's, you know, essentially we're, we're a trade union. We're, we're an association, but we, we have a trade union element. And that's that's been really challenged the last two, three years, like I said, in terms of, 
in terms of any trade union, these environments, we've we've gone through COVID where, where pay cuts were very much part of the deal for players. I think the players were outstanding through that period. Um, you know, cuts of up to kind of 25%. And many teams took took cuts lower than that. And we we assisted the players there and tried to tried to get the, the deal the players wanted on the table. But ultimately the players had to do their part through a period where you know, no crowds, no no viable income coming into the clubs, and, and we're now seeing the repercussions of that period now. Um, very very difficult, um, and it's been a tough market, full stop for players. And now we've seen you know two two clubs go out of business. We've we've had you know a hundred players effectively lose their jobs overnight. Not to mention the staff and everyone else involved. So, absolutely, it's a difficult time for for the RPA as a trade union. But what we are saying to the players is this that. There's going to be huge change in rugby, not just now, but in in two years' time. What's called the PGA is up. It's the the professional game agreement. Historically, it's an agreement between England and the clubs. And and we're saying to the players now, you know, the game's professionalised enough, it's grown enough that that we feel the players have to be part of that. Um, So we're saying to the players now and really trying to appeal to those senior guys more than any that we want them involved. We want them at the table. Um, they've got to want to be involved and at the table as well, but we've seen some really encouraging noises being made recently. Um, but if you look at any mature professional sport in the world, the players have a seat at the table and they're, you know, they're part of those decisions. So that's something that we're really trying to say to the players now. We've had, we've had two years of a very tough environment for players that's still going now, but, but in terms of that PGA, that's a real target for us to get at the table and, and be part of the way rugby's going to look going forwards. Yeah, I've been chatting to a few of the players just to try and get a bit of insight. I mean, a lot's changed since I retired five years ago um, when Damien Hotley was in charge and we'd get 20% off a 42-inch screen plasma. Amongst other things, we were. I, I thought the RPA were great. I thought the, the careers after rugby, the insurance and all these things that were in place. But I wanted to chat to the players to see how they felt about it. And some of them were very, like, as in open with me and... I said I'm chatting to you, they've all got a huge amount of respect for you, but I think there's an air of frustration around, probably because everything that's happened, they've got mates at Worcester, they've got mates at Wasps, uh, because of the deductions that they had to take. But the main thing and the frustrations that they've said to me is around the fact that it's perceived that the RPA are a trade union, so therefore they should have the best interest of the players at the forefront of everything they do, which I know you do, but you're 75% owned by the PRL. No, we're, we're certainly not owned by PRL. Um, <laughs> I'm going to dispute you on that one straight away, Jim. Um, funded? Yeah, so let's let's talk about the way we're funded more so. So we, we presented this to the players in, in pre-season. So if, if players are unsure of this still, it, it surprises me a little bit. So, you know, you've spoken there about the, the importance of preparing for life after rugby, and that's something we do via a programme called Gainline. So we actually... We have in every single club a development manager who is employed by us, um, but is but is purely there to help the players with with their kind of off field development as a as an independent within the club, if that makes sense. Because sometimes you don't want to discuss, um, you know, set up a podcast like you did. You you might not want to go to Brendan Venter and say, Brendan, I'm going to go and set up a podcast. How do I do it? You want to do it with someone independent, and that's that's where our our development managers come in. That program is funded. And again, it's not just by PRL, it's by the RFU as well. It's 50-50 between the two of them. That, that 100% is funded by the game. Um, 
you know, we, we, we surveyed our members a couple of years ago now. One of the big questions we asked was, should the game fund your life after rugby? Should, you, should the game be funding that and helping you prepare? And I think the number that came back was like 92, 95%. Well, that's, that's the fruition of that. So I get what the players are saying. They don't like the association of us with the game putting money in. But, but if you want that funding for life after rugby, that's, that's where that money comes from and, and is a good thing. Um, that money is also used for things like centralised education on key topics. So things like um, anti-doping or illicit drugs or gambling awareness. You know, the game funds that because it wants to protect the game. And we want to protect the players. And I'm sure you and I have got stories about countless players over the years who that, that support is important or that education is important. So absolutely, that, that money is funded. But in terms of the trade union itself, that is funded by the players' subs, which which are, they're not small, but they're not huge. You know, we ask, we ask for a, a viable number for the players' subs. And then via our commercial programs, that, that's what funds the... The trade union. I'm pretty sure if you ask PRL if they're paying um, if they're paying my wage, for instance, I'm pretty sure they'll say they're not. Um, so, look, I get it. It's it's been a really tough time for the players, and I get that players will will not like the association of money coming in from PRL and RFU. But at the end of the day, when I don't think the players would say we should give that money back. They they want that money to be used for the right things. And I guess the, the more pertinent thing would be what mechanism should there exist, how that money comes in. You don't want that money to be a, a noose around your neck. You want that money to be a, a part of the funding deal. And that's where that PGA comes in that I just mentioned to you in two years' time. You know, If you look at a CBA around the world, now, NRL is one that gets held up as being you know, a, a brilliant environment and they've got it right. Well, their CBA says that the league itself pays for the NRL PA. Every club has to pay $100,000. Every club has to pay $300,000 into the Players' Benevolent Fund. The, the league itself funds all the education for the players. So it's not, you know, it's not an unusual environment. It's just, um, like I said, I, I get it. I'm, I'm an ex-player. You're an ex-player. We, we get why those questions exist, but we've been pretty upfront as to why that money is needed and, and what it's used for. So... Yeah, and how tough have some of your conversations been there? Are you managing, uh, I say managing up and managing down, I mean that in terms of just trying to give a comparison of your role between Premiership Rugby, the RFU, but also the players. And again, I go back to the point, mate, you've played the game. You know how they feel. You know what they're going through. You've been there transitioning out of the game, uh, being injured before, worrying about if you're going to get paid, if you're injured after six months and all these different things, all these things that players will be thinking about. Like, are you having to manage up and manage down? So my my job primarily is player engagement and, and game understanding. I have kind of an on-field expertise, which which I, I sit and represent the players on about 10 or 12 different committees, ranging from uh, the laws of the game or anti-doping all the way up to world rugby. You know, you get asked for player opinion on various things and you go out to key players, you know, I, there's no way I can go out to six, seven hundred players and ask for their opinion on everything. But I can absolutely, if there's a if there's a scrummaging issue coming from World Rugby, I absolutely can go to you know key front rows. And you, and you don't just want Dan Cole. You don't just want someone at the end of their career. You want you want a spread of ages and a spread of experiences to give you feedback. And that feedback really does matter because the one thing that 
World Rugby or the RFU or PRL will listen to is actually direct player opinion. You know, they'll argue with me or another administrator all day long. But if you get a player saying, no, this this is what I think, they'll listen. Yeah, absolutely. Some of the other things and the issues some of the players have had, and there was quite a few that came back when I reached out to them. And you've got to remember, they all want to moan, right? We all love to moan as a player. It's always the easy way. What did my famous coach, Scott Johnson, say? Problem maker, not problem solver. But one of the big things and that I'm really passionate about, and I wish it was in place when I was there, I'm sure you do as well, was around the amount of games that you have to play. And I know that there's been this regulatory five-week period for internationals, and that was changed last year. This I don't know this for sure. This is the feedback that I'm getting around some of the Leicester players uh, and it was changed to four weeks. And then we saw that there's been application from clubs for players that have played internationals for them to play. And uh, they didn't get enough rest. I'm kind of umming and ahhing around this point because it is just feedback from some of the players. But is that part of the RPA's role is to look at player welfare, to look at uh, time management on the pitch and to be that kind of middle circuit breaker, if you like, between the clubs and the players where you don't have to have that awkward conversation with the coach and say, you know what, actually, I've played a bit too many games or I'm at the limit of where I'm at. Yeah, so I think you're talking about two different things there. So there's there's the players' five-week, um, what we call five-week off-season. So if you think of an off-season and then an, an out-of-season period, so an off-season plus your pre-season. So the players' five-week off-season is a, is a contractual right for them. It's part of the, the Premiership Standard contract and it's something that every player has and is entitled to. What we've seen recently is that clubs have started, you know, they've had the squeeze of the premiership season expanding and they've started going to their player groups and saying, well, you know, we've got less time to prepare you now and we think it'd be better if you take four weeks and then we'll give you another week during pre-season. Now, that's something that I personally am opposed to. I don't think that's right at all. I think the players have a five-week break in their contract. We've seen clubs challenge it all around the league. We've seen some player groups say, no, we want our five weeks and they get their five weeks. But this year we did see um, three clubs reduce it. They, they have to do that with their players' consent. But as you say, it's, it's a difficult question for a player to, to, to answer that. Um, but that's something that we raised at the PGB recently as, as something that we see as an erosion of um, the players' welfare provision and something that we want to see something done about. Um, I'm, I'm telling you this as my personal opinion that I, I just don't think it's right. And, and I think that if the players have got a five-week break in their contract, they should get a five-week break. Um, that question's with the RFU and PRL now, and, and we will meet very soon to, to discuss how they're going to prevent that because it is... You know, we're in an environment at the moment where there's a lot of questions about rugby union, about um, the welfare of the players, and like you say, the number of games the players are playing. Um, I don't think it's right that that off season is being reduced in in very you know few cases. But you and I again know that those few cases will become more cases, will become all the cases. So we we've recognised that this year, and 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 we've put like I say a, a paper into PGB questioning why this is allowed and, and that it shouldn't be. The other thing you're asking about is the return of England players post Australia. So this was a process where there is a group set up to deal with exemptions. So if you think of the 35 players who went on tour, there are very different needs within that group. 
So you've got at the top end, you've got Freddie Stewart who played, uh, I think he played 32 full games last year. He actually went beyond the limit. He absolutely, no questions asked, should get his 10 weeks between the last game of the tour and, and the first game of the Prem season, and he did. At the other end of the scale, you've got people like Will Joseph. He only played, I think, four or five games last year. I'd have to look at my, my laptop to see the exact number. I think he played four or five games. His club is saying, well, for his development, he didn't play on tour hardly. He's 21 years old, and we think he should be playing. Now, you've got to take a, a view on that as to what's the best for the player at that point. That process goes through something called the PPMG. So I represent the players on that group. This was the first year I've done it. Um, previously, it would have been Damien. And I took a view that we should have some flexibility, but that we need to protect the players at the top. Um, so people like Will Joseph, we, we supported their return. Uh, also academy players who played at the 20s uh, summer tour. Again, we supported their return. But at the other end of the scale, we voted against anyone with a, a high playing load in the year before. Um, absolutely. I think I said it pre-tour. I said, you've got to protect the guys at the top end of the game, the, the top loads. Um, but ultimately, that is a committee of, of three. And the Premiership and the RFU would vote how they see fit for each each player also. Um, and again, the same paper that went into PGB about the five-week break went in regarding those returns because... Again, in, in the RPA's opinion, some of those players shouldn't have been coming back early. Um, and it's a question for the game again, you know, what, how are we going to protect those top players? If you had a dream bucket list of maybe three things, like I have, like, uh, let, let me give you mine, that might be good. So if I had the keys to the kingdom and I had an endless checkbook, this is what I would do. I would have a minimum wage, Right. So I don't know whether there is a minimum wage you might be able to tell me. I don't think there is from what I'm hearing, all the research that I've done. I would also have a maximum number of games. Doesn't matter how old you are. This is the maximum number of you, games you can play. 25 is in my head. I spoke to Ebenezer Beth in Toulon. He had 25 in his head as well. And I mean, his 25 games would look very different to how I played mine. He'd be in a lot more contacts. And then also the big thing for me, and this is, segueing slightly from the here and now and I know that there's something recently uh, has been happening with the RPA is aftercare mate there ain't anything like I, I'm lucky in a way in which I have still have private health care and it's still a ball late to get things fixed like I had neck surgery a few months ago I've got a number of ongoing issues so my bucket list would be minimum wage for players everyone knows right if you're a professional rugby player it's 50 grand Right, And part of that 50 grand is you get this, you get access to the RPA, you get access to career benefits, you get access to um, insurances and all the things that we're talking about. Then I know that I'm going to play a maximum of 25 games a year. So I know what my body's going to go through at the very, not the worst case scenario, the best case scenario. I want to play 25 games at the top end. And then I know if I do 10, 15, 17 years like yourself, and I come out in an absolute wreck at the age of 34, 35, God willing, that I've got support after. So you've mentioned some things there that I'm pretty keen on myself. Um, a minimum wage, absolutely. I think that that's something that, um, that I've very much got on my radar. Um, you know, you've mentioned some things, like I said, are built into the CBA in the NRL. So in the NRL, they have... Um, all the clubs contribute to a benevolent fund for players for post-career. 
Um, as you just mentioned, the RPA have just launched um, a retired player network, which is something that we really believe in. And I'll, and I'll tell you why, because for me, and I don't know if it's the same for you, when I retired, the hardest thing that I lost was two things. The, the rigidity of what the club gave me, the club environment. So they told me where to be and what to eat. And you're playing this weekend, you're away next weekend. But the other thing was the network of the players themselves, being around players, being around like-minded people. Um, so that's something we're really trying to push. At the moment, we're the, we're the only people in England who do anything for retired players, and we want to grow that. We want to expand it. You've got to start small. So it started off with things like uh, free usage of gyms, free nutritional advice. But we want to build that. And again, we, we're going back to that investment from the game. We want the game to invest in that. Like we're not going to hide from that. We, we we want the game to put money into that for the past players. Um, so that's another thing that's pretty crucial for us. When you say the game, Daisy, what do you mean the game specifically to invest? Because that's what it comes down to is money effectively. But when you say the game, who, yeah. who are you saying? The RFU and PRL. Um, and then the, the third thing around game limits. So the players have just started a huge study around instrumented mouthguards and it's been a it's been a while coming but fair play it's it's arrived that the biggest challenge for the game now is the exposure to head impact like it's not just concussions it's not just being knocked out it's this exposure to to head impact the number of times you you hit some subconcussive and concussive blows those gum shields are going to tell us what the players are getting and where i i would anticipate in the new year maybe a bit later they'll come out with initial findings and that ultimately will drive the, the game limits. So previously, game limits have always been a bit, what's the right number? You go to sports scientists, you go to injury data, you try and come to a, a number that, that keeps the players, um, that gives the players the best opportunity to have the career they want to have. So you've just said it there, 25 games a year, I want to play every one of those 25 games. I want to play every game. I want to get to all the cup finals and play all the cup finals and win all the trophies. Some players may never get that opportunity, but they still get what they want. So, you know, the players get to have the career they want to have, the length they have. They don't have severe repercussions post-career. Absolutely. What that exact number is, will it's very difficult to determine the exact number. But I agree with you again. We should set a number and that's the number. And that might be uncomfortable for some and it might be difficult particularly in an environment where we're trying to look after the finances of the game but ultimately we, we do need a number to be managed to that's something i i 100 agree with you again on that where will that number come from i think these gum shields will play a big big part i think we'll start working out where the contact is where the head impacts are and we'll we'll come to a a number that people are comfortable with and one thing I'm saying for that PG, PGA is I, I don't want to argue with the game about the right number. I want us all to say, this is the right number between us. You know, we're going to say you, in a united group of people who look after the welfare of the game, the welfare of the players, that, that's what we are now. And we're united in that. And, and let's, let's move forward from there. Yeah, because I think you look at, the stuff that is going on in the background around maximum numbers of games, I'm plucking that number out. Like that's a number that just, in my mind, that there's no context to that. There's no science behind that. 
And it's not necessarily games, is it? Because you've got to think of the training load in the week. You might be on the bench and only get 10 minutes at the weekend, but you've done all the training, you've done all the collisions in the week, um, you've done all the weight training and all these things that ha- has an impact on your body. So at the minute, it feels like in such a, I say such a professional sport, we are quite new, aren't we? What are we, 25 years? Um, yeah, so we're still relatively new, aren't we, in terms of, where we are in professionalism and I think when we're looking at other sports people are talking about the NRL am I right in saying that I spoke to Mark Evans on a podcast um, a few weeks ago Sam Tompkins rugby league England rugby league captain again going through their own problems but it seems like the NRL are a league in which we're looking for advice not advice in terms of structures that are in place that have worked am I right in saying that because at the minute I say problem solvers not makers i'm struggling to see how you solve these problems do you know what i mean I, i'm struggling to see where it happens and there's a load of work i mean your job seems significantly more stressful than well it is it's not it not even seems it is me i'm it's just there talking absolute rubbish do you know what i mean every week but where are you looking towards who's doing it right because you've not mentioned the nfl once i understand that they're a huge huge commercial entity are the nrl doing it right do you look at them and think right they've got things close to being spot on you're never going to find one one organization that you go that's it we should all just copy them you're never going to find it i think the reason why the nrl is getting a lot of press is they they play rugby first and foremost the numbers associated are similar and they're making profit that that's that's why their business model looks good do i think Rugby league is um, nailing every welfare aim that we have. No, probably not. Um, <clears throat> if you look at Premiership football at the moment, um, they're asking questions around concussion management, head injury management, and they're pointing at English rugby as they're brilliant at that. They, everyone should be, you know, we should be doing that. So. There's no one answer. I'm a massive fan of the NFL. I, I have a couple of contacts within the NFLPA and it's it's fascinating hearing them talk about their challenges and the way they deal with them. But as you said, the NFL's first CBA, I think, was in 1960-something. They've, they've been doing it for 60 years to get to where they are now. Um, there's elements of what they do which I think are transferable to us, but at the same time, you know, the Washington, um, what they call now, the Sentinels? They've just been renamed the Washington team. They're, they're about to go on the market for $6.5 billion. Um, it's a different beast. So you can't just say we should do what the NFL do because it's um, it's a different environment. I mean, it, just, just coming back to some of the points you made around game limits. So the previous game limits are set around injury risk. It was a paper that, that came out of Bath University. We've, we've actually just paid for that paper to be updated for the modern game. Um, that paper's just being published now, and that will go forward again to the English game with new recommendations around limits. One of the interesting things to come out of that is one thing you said about what's the difference between a Freddie Stewart who plays 80 minutes every week and a tight head prop who plays 15 minutes every week. Are they getting the same load? Is it different? A tired prop does more physical work, but you know, so for us, if you train all week and you go through the stress of the game and everything else, then there's a severe mental load being placed placed on you, just the same as the player who started the game. So we're we're certainly moving towards if you're involved in the game, you're involved in the game. It doesn't matter um, 
doesn't matter if you played one minute or 80 minute. Um, but again, there's some nuance there. So that's that's one thing we're moving forward. We've paid for that uh, research to be done. Um, but again, I come back to it that I think potentially the gum shields will overtake that uh, that injury risk data because I think the that, that reduction on exposure to head impact is is just so vital going forward. How much do they know about this? Like, how much do the teams and the players know about exactly what's going on? And they don't just think, "Oh, I'll tell you what, I can get a cheap TV of Hoppers, hoppers <laughs> or I can get a, a career after rugby, and I can be." introduced to a nutrition course or a degree or whatever which some people won't give a shit about and I'm just interested to know like how much of this message is actually filtering in to the teams yeah so so like I said we 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 visit every club in pre-season and give what we what we label a forum rather than a presentation but we we this year presented our aims for the next two years leading up to that PGA we spoke about a lot of the things we've spoken to on this call. Like you say, some players are really interested and engaged and some players just want to run out of the weekend and play rugby. That's that's the demographic. Um, at the same time as you've got 18-year-olds earning very, very little, sat in the same room as marquee players earning huge amounts of, of money comparatively. So you're never going to hit home with every player and make them all think that, you're doing the world of good for them. But what we have to do is try and provide them with a bit of a vision. I, I hope that in those pre-season forums, we did that. Now, those are imperfect in themselves because the England players were away in Australia. So you miss them and they're all crucial. So does the message go to every single player? Do it? Does every player get this message? No, they don't. But that's why me speaking to you now is actually massively valuable. I hope some players listen to this and they might think, oh, wow, there's a lot going on. They might ask more questions. They might um, they might find a bit of it that they're really interested in and say, I want to help. I want to be involved. Um, at the same time, I said that development manager is embedded in their club. They'll be in their club every single week so they can always engage with that development manager. Every club votes in their own representatives. So every club has a player representative. And then as part of my job spec, I try and engage with key players in every club. So I kind of have a short list of key players at each club that I try and message regularly. Um, I visit every club a minimum three times a year, again, just to be there to give some face time. And if people want to sit down and talk, they can. Um, but ultimately, you're, you're weighing up that balance between I want to play rugby, I want to I want to play rugby on the weekend and perform and, and focus on that. And you know what players are like; they they'll happily do that ninety nine percent of the time. But can we start engaging with players better to make make them want to engage with us and, and take forward some of these arguments and debates? I, absolutely, and that's to say it's pretty encouraging recently that we've seen some some players kind of start to say it, um, it out loud and in public and. The more they engage, the more they become part of it, the better it'll be for them, but more importantly for their teammates and for players for years to come. Is there not an argument to say that every player should have this regardless, whether or not it's taken from the top end of their salary and put into the pot, whether or not the clubs pay it, whether or not a sponsor pays it? I, I don't know. Is there not an argument that every player 
should have access to this because I know it's not a lot of money. I don't know if you're allowed to share how much it is. Um, I don't want to say the wrong number. It's not a lot of money in the grand scheme of things, uh, unless you're at the very bottom end and you know it might feel well. It will feel like a little bit more money, but if you're a marquee player, it is what a cup of coffee a week or however many coffees that you have your coffee bill for the week. I'd I'd, I'd I'd rather be transparent with you. There's no point preaching that the game should be transparent and and then I sit here and say I'm not going to tell you the numbers. Uh, the senior membership fee for the RPA is just over £300. So that's that's what it costs per year. A large proportion of that goes into your insurance premium, um, which tops that up. Should every player do that? It, to me, it's, it's an absolute no-brainer. A that year. So 300 yeah. quid a year. Come on, lads. The lads that are speaking to me, that are chatting to me. 300 quid a year. I can tell you now, they spend more than that a week on coffee, some of them. So that, that's your senior fee. You mentioned younger guys, that their fee's substantially less, less than half of that. Historically, our sign-up was, was, I said I'm going to be transparent, it was just over 90%. Now it's more like 85%. So it's dropped off a little bit because of COVID. That it has. Like I'm going to be transparent with you. Um, but it's still a huge proportion of the premiership. The people who don't sign up, Foreign foreign players tend tend to not to see the value of the English RPA. I get that, but there are some players choosing not to sign up, and it, and it's for me and other people who work for the RPA that that we need to show them the value. I've said to you, representation is the key, the key part of this. Um, if you're not represented, then you're not part of the discussions. You never will be. And if we asked different bits of the game, if we asked the women, they'd say it's vital. I need the men to, to think the same way, I guess. Um, if we look at other models around the world again, so the NRL's one, the, the NRL's CBA means that the players don't pay subs. It comes out directly from their proportion of the pot kind of thing. That's how other CBAs and player associations around the world work. Will we get to that? Maybe. Uh, but for the moment, we're not. Um, if you look at the American sports, the NFL PA, it's about $15,000 uh, to join. So that tells you the difference in, in value there. But they, like I said, they're very established and they, they push money back to the players via things like commercial rights and things like that for games like Madden NFL. Now we don't have, we don't have Jim Hamilton rugby just yet. Um, but hopefully one day we will. And then, and at that point, you know, we, we represent those players collectively. And that's, it's that collective position is so vital going forwards. If you look at, like you said, the game's changing in terms of data collection, in terms of, um, you know, there's the smart ball now that's being used, the player data that's being used. You can only be represented in that data collectively. And, and that, that way, the more players that we have, uh, signed up with us, making our collective strong, the better the better bargaining position we have for the players. I feel like someone, and again, I can afford it. I'm speaking on behalf of like ex-professionals, some high-profile professionals who are struggling after rugby. That money in the pot, and I'm actually keen to get involved in this. So if you want me involved, please ask. A pot of money that can be dipped into to get my ankle sorted, to get a bit of blood work done, do you know what I mean? Because I think the natural thing, and I've chatted to mates recently, actually. I went for a coffee with a mate who's really struggling last week, um, an international, I'm not going to say his name. And he's struggling to turn anywhere to be like, right, 
what is going on here? So automatically his thing is head trauma, concussion, because of the symptoms that you get with all that, with anxiety, with depression, uh, mood change. You start thinking, fucking hell, maybe it is that. Maybe it is that. You know, whereas I'd love to be able to dip into a part, and I can, again, I've had a bit of blood work done. I've had my nutrition looked at, but I'd love there to be somewhere, a bank, where ex-players that can just go to and be like, you know what, I need to get checked out. Like, I need to go and see what's going on. Something ain't right. And it could be a number of things, can't it, Daisy? Our age, you know, turning 40, your nutrition, your diet changes, your exercise drops off completely. I just think there needs to be absolutely, whether or not there is a, I know there's a sign-up with the RPA, but there needs to be a higher archy that fund it, I think, for players that have given their lives and their bodies to the game, that they can just go to and be like, look, I need help. Yeah, so three three answers to this. So you're gonna have to hear me out. Like, well, four answers even. So we've we've said, we've mentioned about the retired player network. We we want to start giving the lower level stuff to everybody. So you said about it sounds pathetic, coffee mornings or going to a gym with other players or nutritional advice. That's that's your very low level base level stuff. Yeah, so important. It is, and, and like I said, that's one thing I miss. Um, in terms of players on hard times, at the moment we have our charity restart. There absolutely is support available, but that's for players who fall on hard times, not necessarily you wanting to get your knee fixed. It's that's a different thing. And again, that that charity has supported a hell of a lot of players over the years, um, and, and and is important to us. Now, in terms of the bigger question, which you said, the pot. That's a benevolent fund. That's something that's very much on our kind of long, longer term ask. That's something I said in the NRL, part, part of their CBA, every club contributes to the player's retirement pot, which can then be used for, as you say, if you find out two, three years down the line, you need a knee operation or something, or you, what your blood work's doing. So that's something that would be part of a CBA. And that would be something that we've, we're, we're very interested in. But anytime you say CBA to a, a league or a bunch of owners, they're not going to like the sound of that. So that's that's something for the game to invest in. And again, we then come back to this game investment. And then the last one around head injuries, that's available to every player. So if you know of a player who needs that or wants that, please put them in contact with me. It's, it's part funded by the RFU and PRL. Every player can go. They can get screened. They can get checked up. And if there are concerns, they will get long-term care through that. Uh, part of a huge head injury study, and and again, we're we're, we're leading the way in on that globally in terms of the English game. So that support is here, and if if any players need that, please uh, please do get in touch. If you look at it now and you look forward to two years' time, and if we're speaking transparently and honest, would you want a complete separation from the PRL because it feels like it could be a conflict of interest. If you're talking about, no, I'm telling you now, as a trade union, the max number of games is 25 for a player. How strong can you be on that standpoint at the minute? And then how much stronger could you be without them? And I know it's a tough question to answer, but you were talking about this thing in two years. Is the dream scenario to have nothing to do with the PRL and you come completely independent? 
or not? Or is it important to have that? Because this that that question, Daisy, is the one that keeps coming up when I ask the players is the association. It isn't about the money. If it's 300 quid a year, 400 quid a year, 500 quid a year, 1,000 pound a year for these top players, it's nothing. It feels like it's a principle of the association with the PRL who are making decisions for the players and there's no one they can go to to challenge that apart from the RPA but you can't really challenge it because you're funded by them no I'll, I'll go back again to my previous answer Jim. And, and as well don't don't think that PRL just go around making their own rules they do it the RFU is the governing body of rugby in this country um, they have a massive massive role to play in this and that's what makes rugby in this country slightly complex because we have a union, a league, and then the players. You know, other other unions around the world run their own leagues. So if you go to Ireland, for instance, you know the IRFU have control over their clubs. Um, Would that be easier, Daisy? I know I'm cutting you off here. Mid-answer was a central contract be easier to manage. You think? In terms of in terms of managing individual England players, perhaps. But I don't think central contracts are the answer for that the players want. That's again, I, I don't know how central contracts would work in this country. But I just don't think I haven't seen a model for that that works for the players currently. Um, coming back to your previous point, the PGA gives the opportunity. So, like I said, the PGA previously is the RFU and, and PRL. If you put the players at the table with you as partners, not not as not as employees, as partners in the game. And so many things have been said about how the players are crucial to the future of the game. If you put them with you at the table as partners and, and give a united decision on game limits or whatever whatever crucial bits there are, and then everyone's a signatory to that, that makes it much more straightforward. Um, and I think that would give real validity to the players that they're engaged with and part of the deal. And then and then you go forward from there. I think as it stands, some players clearly that you've spoken to feel like they're playing too many games or they're not getting a fair deal or, or, or whatever bit of it. But that's because they're not engaged. They're not, they don't feel like they're part of the deal. And that's something that I think we've got the opportunity to change. And, and I keep going back to it. It's something that I'm, I'm going to push I, I absolutely want that, um, but who, who gets to do that going forwards? We're not we're not quite certain yet. Negative question before we end on a positive <laughs> situation at Wass and Worcester is obviously very bleak. Do we know how many lads are out of contracts or any players? Like the, the I know the women's game has been affected as well, but the professional element to it. There's a lot of high profile players. Not that being high profile matters anything compared to the grand scheme of things, because it affects everyone. Do we know how many players are out of contract and what's happening with them? Yeah, so look, two two very different kind of circumstances. Worcester kind of ground on for a long time. What Wasps felt like it happened overnight. Um, but we know that teams operate with roughly 50, 55 players. So, you know, 100, 100 plus players overnight were, were without a job. Um, we... A large, some players were picked up pretty, pretty much immediately anyway. But we, you know, we we tried to be part of that with um, the launching of a free agents list. So I can only speak to what I see coming onto our free agents list. 
Um, I can tell you now that more have moved off it than are on it, which is a real positive. Um, <clears throat> so there's roughly 30 players remaining on that free agents list, um, but more have moved off it than are, are left on it now. What I would say is that the market for players is not great. Um, let's be honest about that. We're in a capped league, so a lot of players have moved to other leagues around the world and then other players have remained in England, but it's not a great market to be negotiating your contract up. Um, and that's been a challenge for those players. Um, I will also say there's some players probably kind of biding their time a little bit and saying the opportunities presented at this point in time don't really match up to what I want and I'm going to wait. And and that's where the players' agents, you know, are very, very important in this they they know the market. They know the opportunities coming up. Um, you know, we with our free agents list, we can increase the visibility of the players and who's available. But ultimately, it's the agent's job to seek out those opportunities and make sure their players are getting value for their talents. Um, and again, I'm always going to back players on that. That you know, you should know your value. And like I said, I think there's some guys making a. Uh, a bit of a business decision at the moment that they're going to wait for the right opportunity rather than feeling like they need to jump back straight away. Have you noticed players using the services that the RPA provide from the two clubs specifically? Oh, absolutely. I mean, that it's gone into like full red alert, particularly for our development managers. So they, they check in. I think we've got three development managers at the moment dedicated to those two clubs. Normally, it would be one between those two clubs. So they're, they're checking in regularly. It's it's difficult because, you know, we, we moved from rugby, 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 and then we actually put out a, uh, an opportunities list last week of kind of work experience and job and education experiences. Because if they're not going to jump into a job straight away in rugby, we want them to, to do something. So there are stories of players going out and doing work experience in various places or even picking up some short-term employment in various places while they wait for that right rugby opportunity for them. Ultimately, they all identify as rugby players. They want to play rugby. Um, so that's that's the challenge there. All the players have access to 24-7 you know, confidential counselling, mental health, I don't know the numbers on that, but it's there. And that's really important. Me speaking as someone who's lost friends and teammates um, in previous years. So there, there is definitely support there. But, you know, I said, I, I know a guy at the NFLPA who, who effectively does my job now. And he always said to me, you know, you've only got so many opportunities to give good news to sports people before you're going to have to deliver some bad news. It, it's, it's felt like for the last month just delivering a lot of bad news. Um, and that's that's always very, very difficult. Yeah. Is there some positive news on the horizon? Do you feel that you, you've mentioned two years, this PGA, this change that's potentially happening, like hand on heart, and I know you've put your heart and soul into this, and I'll just reiterate, there's no better person to be fronting this, and it seems, and you can hear and you can see, and I know that it would have been extremely tough is there some positivity on the horizon? Can you see it? Can you feel it? Can you see the light? I I honestly, I think rugby is a brilliant sport. Again, of course I'll say that. I've been in rugby for ages. I think, I think rugby at its very basic level is a brilliant, brilliant sport that is accessible to so many different shapes, sizes, age groups, everything else. So the basis is there. I think the product on the pitch at the, at the minute is as good as it's ever been. I honestly do. I think the Premiership is a brilliant competition. 
pre-pandemic, we saw club revenues rising year on year on year. And then pandemic absolutely destroyed everything. We've just seen two teams come out with their accounts for this year, both recording record revenues. Now, it's not all positive because the profits aren't there, but the revenues are continuing to go up. Do I think there's positivity there? I honestly do think there is. I think Simon Massey-Taylor at PRL, their new head, I think he's a, a good guy who wants to engage with the players. I think um, I think he will challenge old attitudes. Um, I think that there's calls for change from all corners of the game. There's, there's people saying, come on, we want to see some real change now. We've been through some bad times. Um, so, yeah. I, I honestly do think there's positivity there, but I do think some things need to change. And, and I do think that the, the players need to be a real part of the game as partners. Um, that, that's something that I, I, I will keep saying as long as I'm uh, involved in this job. <laughs> I'm not going to hold you accountable, but will we see a minimum wage, maximum gain? Can I get my ankle fixed and stuff like that if I buy into the aftercare Pro- project and the program that's now out there I've asked you three questions there so minimum wage maximum <laughs> games and god my ankle needs help I think um, well like I don't know if you read my uh, you read my personal manifesto but those those th- those three things pretty high on my agenda and but we, we already do some work in those spaces but there's no doubt we can do it a bit better so that'll be something for uh, something for us to work on right Christian Day I don't envy you but I respect you a lot both as a player, but also what you're doing now. And I appreciate the candid opportunity to have a chat as well. Cheers, Jim.